Good morning and welcome to Pello Talk. Today uh, we're going to be talking about a couple of uh, serious and fun topics. Uh, the first one we're going to be talking about is uh, Christian education. Do Christian schools have a right to form uh, communities of like-minded people with uh, compatible and similar beliefs? Uh, <laughs> do they have the right to exclude uh, people, especially in a professional capacity? Do they have the right to discriminate against employees? who are actively oppositional to the reason for their association and formation. Namely, does a Christian have the right to not hire a homosexual or transgender person to be a teacher in their school? On the basis of that um, confusion and ideology, do they have the right to say, we're actually trying to promote something different uh, and so you're not really suitable for this position, we wish you all the best of luck? Uh, well, there's a couple of state governments in Australia who are moving in that direction. My opinion is any government funding is toxic, and this is inevitable. It must be resisted with every single strength we've got, uh, but uh, it would be foolish to think that government money doesn't come with strings attached, mm -hmm. um, and that is something that I think Christian associations need to be particularly mindful of if they are dependent on government funding for their continued uh, mission. And I choose that word particularly carefully because uh, if they're doing it for any reason other than mission, uh, maybe they shouldn't be doing it. Uh, but if they are doing it for mission, maybe they shouldn't be dependent on the government to fund it. And that's something I challenge myself with. Am I being generous enough at my local church to, to enable them and facilitate them to do the work that should replace the government's uh, move and takeover into, into the welfare space. I mean, this is decades old and we're well and truly used to it now. So it's a paradigm shift of a question. But I think the answer is yes, I should be more generous at my local church. And I'm saying above and beyond my tithe. That's my challenge to myself. And it's a challenge really to all of us because I think the last two or three years have shown Australians are addicted to government like it's just another public utility, electricity, water, government, there to provide our needs, turn on the tap and, uh, and satisfy our wants and desires. But that's not the case and that's not the way it's designed to be. Community is the goal. And, and certainly one of the things that puts me under a conservative label is my belief in small government. I believe there's a need for government, but that God has defined its boundaries and those are very clear. Uh, I do believe charity belongs to the church. And, of course, if you're not a church-going Christian, well, another way of saying that is charity belongs to the community. We should be looking after each other. Uh, there used to be things called benevolent societies where you would pay a fee, and it's not religious in any way, but you would pay, it was almost like a union membership. And when you, when you uh, fell on hard times, that community would provide a face-to-face uh, support for the need that you were in and the, and the welfare that you needed. And with that came a mutual accountability. You couldn't leech a free ride and, and mooch for generations uh, without any effort or inclination to fend for yourself and provide for yourself. Safety nets should be safety nets, uh, but we should not be having such a thing as generational welfare. And this all comes back to our dependence on government and government's dependence on our dependence. They 
they benefit from us needing more of them. And so the way to get a genuine election result is to stop being so dependent on government and go back to depending on each other. Communities, communities the way God designed it. And that means the freedom of association. Uh, just like any trade union or political party has the right to discriminate against people who don't share their values in who they choose to employ, so Christian associations, such as Christian schools, must be able to say, for the sake of building community, we have to have the freedom to associate with like-minded people. And when people come in who are not willing to assimilate and conform to our ideas and culture and values, uh, then it's nothing personal and no hate intended, but it starts to dilute, if not destroy, the purpose of our association if we do not discriminate positively uh, against such people. That's not hate, that's love, and it's a fundamental human right, that is freedom of association. Uh, well, we're going to be talking about that plus a whole lot more in today's show. At around the 15-minute mark, we're going to be cutting the recording if you're watching this live, you don't need to go anywhere, but at around 15-minute mark, we're going to go uncensored and uh, remove that rest of the recording from the internet um, after the live stream has finished. Uh, so all that coming up in this show with special guests. My name's Dave Pello, and this is Pello Talk. May all that you stand for and that we stand for be preserved under the providence of God for the happiness of mankind. Trouble is caused by unthinking people who carelessly throw away ageless ideals as if they were old and outworn machines. But it is the values of individual liberty, equality before the law and the supremacy of people over the state to which we can always with confidence return as a powerful and uniting force. Australia is not a secular country. It is a free country. Well, as I said, we've got a lot to talk about today, but let me start by introducing our panellists. Joining me remotely is uh, the fabulous and always fascinating Alexandra Marshall. Ellie, welcome to Pello Talk again. Thank you. Thank you. And talking about paradigm shifts, I just realised that almost everybody in your opening who said those wise words is now dead. So that's not a good sign. You need to find some uh, new wisdom speakers well, you're right. Um, I mean, I do like quotes from history. I had this idea of of putting a, seg a regular segment into Pelotalk uh, where I would dissect a famous speech from history and just do a bit of analysis in it because there is so much wisdom there. Um, but even um, some negative examples of really bad speeches where we can pull them to part and deconstruct them is, uh, is really good. But, yeah, um, there was some good ones there, and I tried to get uh, some lefties as well with good ideas. Um, Bob Hawke making an appearance. Um, you're going to talk to us a little bit later about uh, the internet blowing up with rumours of Xi Jinping's demise, either physically or politically. Um, but let me introduce the rest of the panel right now. Uh, we have uh, Matthew Littlefield uh, joining um, as usual. Matthew, welcome. Hey, Dave. And I think if you kind of put a modern quote in there, you've got to do uh, George W. Bush, uh, where wings take dream, which is a real quote. <laughs> 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 Actually, that would be so funny. I double dare you to put a Biden quote in there. Just the just the oh. nonsense one. The Himalayas one, for instance, is a great one of his. I think it's going to last forever. Can Can I ask all the viewers uh, right now in in the comments? Uh, need you to uh, give us suggestions of a, a montage of quotes that we can put together for 
um, for uh, that. Uh, silly things that people have said. So uh, <laughs> where wings take dream. <laughs> Um, uh, we could we could have Julia Gillard uh, talking uh, about um, what was that word she mispronounced? Um, hyper hyperbole. Hyperbole. <laughs> it's right. on our side. It's every Sunday, Dave. Uh, so we've we've got to do that. Uh, there's a whole bunch of silly quotes we can put together to inspire us at the beginning of a Pillow Talk episode. Um, but let me introduce our final guest this morning. First time, uh, Rob Norman. Um, Rob is the director of, uh, put the title up, Chris, I can't remember it all, um, half the states in Australia for the Australian Christian Lobby. Um, so that's uh, Queensland, New South Wales, and the Australian Capital Territory. Not Northern Territory? No. Okay. I think that's. I think I've got enough. You've got enough, sure. Uh, that's pretty much the eastern seaboard. Mind you, Victoria is probably a basket all by itself, bigger Correct. than those three, those three um, states and territories. Um so Rob is from uh, Adelaide originally, and uh, when Wendy Francis got promoted uh, to the National um, Political Director, is that her right title or close enough? National Director of Politics. National yep. Director of Politics. Um, she's focusing on the federal and Rob's uh, joining a couple of other state directors uh, focusing on, on state issues um, and moved to the um, land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land, Queensland. I've come home, Dave. It's perfect. <laughs> Welcome to heaven. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, uh, Rob, um, you're actually uh, here today to, to pick, I mean, we're going to have lunch and get to know each other, but um, you're particularly focused at the moment on this battle in Western Australia and Queensland who seem to be copying each other out of some kind of central playbook that maybe no, neither of them wrote yep. to, uh, and in my words, I don't think it, it's hyperbolic um, to, to say they're trying to ban Christian schooling. Well, they're certainly making it difficult. And uh, so the, the act as it, or the, the recommendations that have come from the Queensland Human Rights Commission um, basically make it very difficult to employ Christian teachers. So, which seems quite ridiculous when you consider that I, I wonder whether Anastasia Palaszczuk would be open to employing a liberal employee on her staff, for instance. If the same, if the, if the, if it would fit the same if the shoe was on the other foot. That's it. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so what's um, in the particular wording that the Human Rights Commission has, has come up with? Now, bear in mind, guys, that um, when a government such as the Queensland Labor government sends an issue to a, a, um, a law reform tribunal or a, a law reform commission or a human rights commission, what they're looking for is a scapegoat. They already know what policy they want to implement and introduce. They already know the details um, of the problem that they want to solve. And what they're looking for is uh, an expert, an expert opinion that they can point to and say, well, we're just doing what the advice says. We're just doing what the experts say. We're following the advice. Um, and so the Human Rights, the Queensland Human Rights Commission has come back and, and said what? Well, out of 46 uh, recommendations, uh, we've targeted four that are radically opposed to um, Christian organisations, well, actually more broadly religious organisations. And uh, so there is a move to remove the uh, genuine um, occupational sort of definition, I guess, for, for, um, for teachers and to replace that with a new definition. 
Um, essentially, what it means is that only teachers that are directly involved in the teaching of Christianity would have any kind of exemption from so-called discrimination. Right. So at the moment, um, schools have the right to employ teachers that are Christians, that abide by the um, statement of belief of the particular school, whether it be Christian, Islamic, Jewish or whatever, um, the school has then the right to employ a teacher of the same ilk. So at the moment, so the, the recommendation or the proposal is that only teachers directly involved in teaching that particular faith would have uh, the occupational um, ability to to avoid that to 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 basically earn that um, exemption. I so guess. a science teacher can um, be diametrically philosophically opposed uh, to creation That's and right. teaching what Christian faith teaches. Well, even more than that, a science teacher could be opposed to Christianity, and you wouldn't be able to uh, discriminate against them. So. Yeah, that that just that that's just crazy stuff. It's crazy talk. Uh, and and so another field where that would I mean, that I can't think of a field where it wouldn't be important because teachers don't mm. just teach um, religion on a certain schedule. That's right. Uh, they're actually imparting it constantly. Yeah. Um, so the culture of the school is up for grabs, basically. Um, mm. And our argument partly goes along the lines that. Uh, parents send kids to school for more reasons than just the course content. And so in effect, if you're going, if you're sending your children to a Christian school, they're doing life with the teachers. Mm. And if the teachers don't align with the values of the school, then you kind of shrug your shoulders and go, well, what's the point? Mm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a big deal. Yeah. It's a big issue. Ali, uh, the same thing is happening in Western Australia. Um, identically, that uh, the Mark McGowan government, as well as the Anastasia Palaszczuk government, are moving to uh, remove the right for Christian schools to uh, discriminate a against people who don't share their beliefs and values, beliefs and values that parents are paying good money to create and nurture an environment for their children to be raised with the parents' values, values that they want inculcated uh, in their children consistently uh, and they've deliberately chosen a school that's not a government education and that's not a state education. It costs the government far less to send their kids to a uh, Christian school than it does for a public education, although there's still government money involved. The parents are, are definitely paying a premium price uh, for some control over the environment in, in which their children are raised and educated. Um, from a non-Christian perspective, uh, do you have any alarm bells with the, the moves that these Labor governments are, um, are putting towards the human rights and anti-discrimination industry? I'm not sure if I have a coherent answer for you, for the, but let me make three points as someone who actually did go to a Christian school. Uh, the first is the public money. Now, in this case, as a taxpaying citizen, we are each of us entitled to have tax money spent on our education. And that money is supposed to be not with strings attached like a public handout would be, but basically that each school teaches the basic core curriculum. And that is the only strings that are supposed to be attached to that money. So I don't think that school should be uh, overly coerced by public money, given that we're actually entitled to it as citizens to assist our education. So that's my first point, that the governments are overreaching their use of public money on that front. But when we went to a, a Christian school, 
And this is before uh, the woke revolution. So all these rules that used to, and the norms of society that used to work suddenly don't because we've become this heavily politicised group, which is why everything's breaking down. But pre-woke, um, a lot of the Christian schools on the North Shore of Sydney, for example, they are, what should we call it, they're vaguely Christian. Most of the, t- the, the uh, parents are sending their children to those schools because they want them to have an elevated level of education. Many of those parents are not necessarily Christian, but they like the Christian ideal in a more um passive sense let's say and so the school used to have this idea where they predominantly hired christian teachers but if there was an exceptional math teacher or an exceptional english teacher who was not christian they would hire that teacher for the good of the school but they had a policy inside the school which was don't talk to the students about your faith if you are not christian don't talk to the students about your lifestyle in general we knew nothing about um, our teachers and their lifestyles and their habits and their preferences, which is how it should be. There, we've got this problem with um, hiring teachers who are, uh, you know, have lifestyles outside the Christian lifestyle because we're suddenly talking about teachers' lifestyles when we shouldn't be. That should be a mystery. It's not meant to be part of the school curriculum. Uh, and so that worked really well for our school. Uh, but now, because everyone's so interested in identity politics, it's actually broken norms that used to work without legislation. Like we didn't need the government to tell schools how to hire staff. It used to just work, but um, I don't know how we go forward in the situation because I didn't see a problem with the school hiring non-Christian staff because they didn't talk about it. That was a school policy. That worked just fine. Yep. Um, Before we go any further, I just want to say goodbye to people watching the recording later. Live stream people, stay tuned, don't go anywhere. Uh, But if you're watching the recording right now on Facebook or YouTube or any of the other channels uh, that we're uh, live streaming to, Um, please head over to the website right now, goodsource.news, to watch the rest of this video. We're going to go uncensored, off the chain here, tell you what we really think, uh, and uh, that's just not big tech friendly. So goodbye, Silicon Valley, and uh, head over to goodsource.news right now to watch the rest of the video. Uh, Matthew Littlefield, uh, your thoughts, Christian education and this legislation in particular. Uh, I have a few thoughts. I I wanted to ask a question first. Is the legislation such that if schools want to take government funding, they have to incorporate this teaching code or is it just in general, whether they take it or not? Yeah, no, it, it, it's in general, but I think it's also a bit of a red herring uh, tying this to uh, to funding because we're, we're looking essentially at 30% of the um, population in Australia are choosing Christian education. Wow. Now, that includes Catholic education, Anglican, and the various uh, evangelical schools as well. So a, a net of 30%, uh, I don't think it's reasonable to to put the argument up that they shouldn't be receiving as much um funding as a, as a state school, for instance. Yeah, the, the funding uh, question is an interesting discussion. Mm. Um and my my personal thought is, as a Christian, don't ever take government money. Um, as a Christian institution, I'm saying. Uh, in fact, but having said that, I think the most democratic, um, helpful way that the government can support education in a nation is to give consumers, that is parents of children going needing education, give them the money and just give, give everybody a voucher and say, uh, well, I mean, what is the cost? Do you know what the per child cost is? 
per year. It's yeah, it, you make a very good point because there are people who don't choose to use the schooling system, who educate their kids at home, who should be able to make access, take access of that money to educate their kids as they see fit, or put it yep. into the private school of their choice or the public school of their choice. Right. The, the reason I asked the question was just for clarity. So the actual the actual <laughs> point, which I didn't get to, was whatever that money is should be a voucher given to parents. Yes. That's yep. transportable, um, but it also gives government less room for uh, for interference because you don't get too attached to attach great idea. Money. That's a great idea, Dave, because at the moment, children who go to schools that are not public schools are getting less money for their education, despite the fact they should be entitled to equal money if we were properly doing this based upon our taxes. Correct. Yeah, so my thoughts, I want to say a few things. And one, I oppose the legislation. I just want to say that first because some things I say might make it sound like I don't. <laughs> But I just want to point out, firstly, uh, to parents out there who are watching this, uh, you've got to understand that Christian schools already aren't as Christian as you think. And uh, relying on the Christian schools to educate your children in a Christian way is actually a foolish approach. Uh, there are good Christian teachers in good Christian schools, and there are good Christian schools who actually treat it like a mission. Um, and, and they are very intentional about the, the faith practice. Uh, they disciple their teachers as well as their students. But even in those schools, I've met teachers that you would be horrified at the views that they hold, which oppose the faith of many uh, parent, uh, kids, families that are sending their kids to these schools. And so firstly, I want to just point out that if you're relying on the Christian education system to teach your kids to be a Christian, you're probably going to uh, find that's going to fail your kids in their Christian faith, and it will cause issues in your family. Christian education is done primarily in the home by the parents. And I'm not talking about homeschooling here. Homeschooling is one way that it can be done. I'm talking Christian education is something the parents have to do. You have to teach the kids the gospel. You have to teach the kids. That's the primary aspect of Christian education. The school is supposed to be an aid. And if a parent wants to spend thousands of dollars a year sending their kid to a particular school because they want it to be a particular kind of aid, they should have every right to do that. And we should be opposing laws which stop people from doing that. If you want to send your kids to a Christian school because you believe that spending that money is going to create an environment which is better for your children, and to some degree it can be if you're intentional about how you do it and if you're careful about the school you send them to, then we should have that right. And so this, this legislation is ridiculous. However, I, I, I want to emphasize there are teachers already in these schools who would not fit any responsible faith requirement if you were to actually sit down and talk to them already because some people are willing to just check boxes to get a job. That's just a reality. Yep. Um, Rob, uh, is there anything valid at all in the Human Rights Commission's recommendations? Is there anything that's not activist, partisan, anti-Christian? I'm sure there is. It's hard to see. Uh, it's hard to see the wood for the trees, though, to be honest, Dave. Um, yep. So there is a very strong rainbow thread running through the whole uh, in, the, in the name of um, protecting people's rights, um, the, uh, sexual kind of rights, I guess. Yep. So there's a, there's a very strong thread running through there. Um, in general, obviously, we want to protect people. We don't want people to be discriminated against for sex, sexuality and so forth. Yeah. Um, but it it's... Well, I mean, the the language you just chose then was very broad. Mm. Um, right. I do want people discriminated that, against for their sexuality. Unfortunately, that's the language that's chosen. Pedophiles should be kept out of school. Correct. But hang on a second. Oh, oh, uh, the, the, 
the basis of doing an investigation like this would be based upon the assumption that schools are a place where human rights abuses are such a problem they need to be addressed. Can anyone mm. seriously say that? In and that's just not happening. Exactly. That's exactly yeah. right, mate. It's an insane. I mean, I, I mean, the biggest human rights abuse that I could think of in school would be kids being bullied for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you don't rights commission to look into that. You need mm. you need all sorts of different other social. Uh, things to do all that sort of thing. I mean, the, the whole the whole presuppositions behind such an inquiry just seem ridiculous. Yep. Mm. Yeah. This totally. is my this is my point because when we all went to school, schooling was basically <laughs> about your education. Essentially, you know, teachers were there as aids in your education. You knew very little about your teachers, as you should. You might know that they're married. You might not. You'd be very unlikely to know anything else about them. But once teachers started to put forward this intense identity politics, where they were actively promoting politics as part and personal politics for their personal information as part of the school curriculum. It's actually caused this backlash of Christian schools going, well, we don't want that in our classrooms, which has caused the government to have a reaction, which is we want to stop Christian schools from having this backlash to this identity politics movement. We should really go back to the core and say teachers should go back to being teaching aids and they should not be putting their personal business in the classroom. That solves both of these problems. It can all go back to how it was. Yeah, just to have a neutral environment. The other very scary thing I think that is coming through this is that there is now a proposal to have a positive duty to eradicate discrimination. So essentially, what that does, it opens the door to the commissioner to come into any school and measure uh, what that looks like. And it's very vague in the wording, so. it basically means it can be interpreted however the commissioner chooses to interpret in that particular situation. Yeah. And, I mean, the overheads of actually running something like that in a in a charity-based <laughs> school is just ridiculous. You could have someone on full-time staff doing that and still not achieve the goal. Yeah, I mean, all of these problems exist. It's a religious burden. It is. Well, there you go. It, it's, it's actually... Mm-hmm. Sorry to cut you off, Matt. It, right. It's just we are, we are so actively and obviously promoting the religion of the government mm. they are they are actively trying to get their ideology their morality um, their moral code um, uh, what's the word uh, spruiked evangelized by absolutely everybody they mm. want us preaching government paganism and it is just such I, I think I, I <laughs> I, would, I don't. I'm sure legal scholars will disagree with me, but my opinion is I think this is a violation of Section 116. Except it's not the Commonwealth government doing it; it's the state government, but and there's that, no that, such restriction on them. There's a there's a supremacy aspect to the Australian Constitution, which the states have to fall in line with the the broad broad teachings of the of the federal constitution. So they can't just do whatever they want. That, they that have, doesn't apply universally to everything in the constitution. It's, it's a common myth. But um, the states things take like federal funding for the schools, which yeah. means it has to apply. If, if, no, if, no, it doesn't work that way. I, can, I know this because I've been down this road so often. Section 116 does not apply to the states. So many things do. Um, Section 116 isn't a law. It's a, it's a framework saying the Commonwealth may not make a law which means there's an absence of law regarding religion in the Commonwealth. But it also there's nothing also... for the states to have to conform to. Um, it's basically saying Commonwealth is agnostic on religion, which means Queensland can legislate a state religion. They absolutely can compel worship. 
there's nothing in our federal constitution which prohibits them from doing that. Uh, that's not correct, because they're also, there's not just the section 116, there's also a whole bunch of treaties and agreements which the federal government has made to ensure that certain rights are not breached in in their, in any of their countries. Well, um, that, that may be true, but it's not because of our constitution. Well, the const there is there is aspects of the constitution which will apply, but it doesn't matter whether the, you talk about 116 or you can talk about the Queensland Human Rights Code, which has this freedom of thought as as, as law in Queensland. The 2019 Queensland Human Rights Act gives people the right of freedom of thought, freedom of association, and freedom from being compelled in their beliefs. Yep. So, and that's actually, and this is what that's I mean. That's compelling. But this is based on Section 116. This law feeds off of that. And so that's what I mean. It's not as simple that it doesn't apply because Queensland's actually taken that framework and enshrined it in legislation in Queensland. So they do not have the right to compel belief and compelling a school to put somebody in who can teach something which goes against their beliefs breaks the freedom of association, freedom of thought, and freedom yeah. of conscience. That goes against what the law says. The problem is for the last two years, so many churches and Christian organizations have stayed silent and cowardly while the governments overrode people's rights on an issue they didn't want to touch. But the problem is it always comes down. It always causes a, a, an issue where there will eventually come an issue which you do want to defend. But because you didn't defend people on this issue, you have less allies now. Yeah. And that's the but problem. What about the, but what oh. about the problem? Like, I mean, I'm not Christian, but I did spend a lot of time in Christian schools. And, I, and all my friends who I grew up with are Christians from these schools. And I follow them on Facebook. And nearly all of them are also essentially Marxist or eco-fascist, whatever. They've subscribed and they're definitely all work. They've all got the rainbow flags in their profiles. And the school teachers who are Christian school teachers are the same so do you not does the faith schools not have another problem where they're already voluntarily subscribing to the exact yes. same political culture that is coming in now and writing legislation like don't you have a, a second problem there as well that, that was my point before i think that's right 100 yeah, agree really the schools are not as christian as people think and i've been trying to tell christian parents this there's a it's there's other reasons there's a reason why my wife and i homeschool and my wife is a, is a qualified christian school teacher who worked in multiple christian schools and uh, the culture in the schools was not as Christian as we wanted it to be. There's a very large Christian school uh, north of Brisbane, uh, which came to my attention during the federal election because one of their full-time staff, a person whose job description, a qualified pastor, and their job description was student spiritual formation. And they were spruiking uh, that the Greens were the only party in Australia with a vision for the future and everybody should go and read their policy platform. That is a failure of Christian education. Yeah, mm. you will find there will be many teachers in Christian schools who will be teaching um, the students and advocating in their schools to get laws like this to pass because they will be fully on board with them and fully wanting them to go forward. And that is that is one of the problems. And, and there are really good Christian schools with yeah. really good Christian teachers like I, I, and my wife has worked in these as well, where they are actually intentional. There was one school she worked in in the past where the teachers actually took a pay cut. Um, they earned less than they could have in other schools because the school's desire was to be a mission unto the community and to share the gospel. And they that school did that very successfully. Many kids come to faith and that school had a very strong Christian culture. So I'm not trying to criticize all Christian schools or tar them with the same brush or anything like that at all. You've got to take them on a case-by-case -case basis. But what Ellie says is a real and genuine problem. Um, and I think 
parents out there, you need to realize you are responsible for your Christians, your your kids' Christian education primarily. But on, on top of that, the government also isn't. So they don't. They shouldn't be interfering in this. I, look, Matt, I think you're spot on with this. Um, the other thing, obviously, the parents are primal in the education of their children. Uh, so the other problem we're facing, of course, is that um, the parents don't have those rights. So yeah. we're looking now in states like New South Wales where Mark Latham has put up a bill this year for parental rights. Mm. But it basically gives uh, parents the basic right of veto for their children to not attend particular Brilliant. subjects. Classes. Yeah. Um, that bill got rolled. So it fell and, over. And the problem with that, of course, is they don't teach uh, gender confusion and sexual confusion in a in a given subject. They, like a Christian school, weave the uh, the values and the religion Correct. Uh, through every subject. And that's what hap that's what's yeah. happening here in Queensland with the proposed change to this act, is that we're actually now opening up uh, a door for progressive theology, uh, pr progressive ideology, I should say. Yeah, to flow into every part of, of the system. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Well, when you, talk, when, when you talk about it not being Christian schools, not being not uh, accentuating the Christian education, let me put it to you from someone who was a religious and who noticed how much religion was in school. Basically, we had to go to, this is a, a top um, Anglican school. We went to church every Friday for about an hour. That was our one required mandated task. And once a week we had a, a 70 minute lesson on Christianity. You could either choose Christianity or theology um, and it doesn't count for your school HSC, whatever it's called now, it was called HSC when I was there. So a lot of people from different faiths or no faith sent their children to these schools. Um, and there was no expectation that your child would come out Christian. It was basically because there are no non-religious independent schools really, a lot of parents are sending their children to Christian schools for the quality of education, not for the faith. And I think over time that has led to a lesser faith influence on these schools in general. They're basically businesses. Yeah, that's yeah. correct. Let's have a look at uh, some of the comments. I just want to thank viewers for contributing to the conversation uh, with, with your comments. Um, looking, for, uh, looking for particular ones that I wanted to get to. I probably lost it. Here's one from Grant Vandersee who says... When I was a teacher in Christian schools, we were expected to include Christian ideas, values, teaching and theology in all of our classes. And I taught maths and computing. How does the Human Rights Commission propose that their changes will uphold this ambition of Christian schools? Of course, it doesn't. Um, and the whole idea is to undermine it. Yeah. Uh, Mary Jordan says parents need to be the first teachers of faith. It has to be reinforced at home. Um, and it's crucial at this particular time in history as the world culture is overpowering, especially for the little children. We cannot rely totally on the Christian schools. 100% agree, uh, Mary. Thank you for that. Um, Vicky says Anglican schools tend to be traditional in style rather than a genuine faith-based school. Uh, Jason Bryan says my mate in Melbourne manages hotels. He said they've received an email from head office about the upcoming National Bisexual Visibility Day in the workplace. We're, we're getting bombarded with this everywhere. And, and I think certainly um, <laughs> the one thing we're asking for is a safe place where we don't have to um, expose our children to these toxic, confused pernicious, vile and wicked ideas that aren't just 
uh, not liked. They're diametrically opposed to um, the freedoms we're meant to have and the ideas that we're trying to inculcate in the next generation. And, um, you know, the, the commenter was absolutely right. If we can't train the next generation, we absolutely lose the nation. Mm. We and absolutely lose every election coming up. This is why it's important. And I want to address fellow homeschoolers out there with this. Uh, this is why it's important that we do defend faith-based schools and faith-based education because uh, it, it's really, it's, it's an area of attack from the secular culture, the, the secular progressive uh, agenda to take away every aspect of Christian education. If you think they won't come into the homes after they're done with that, then you're really not paying attention. Mm. There are countries in the world where homeschooling is illegal um, and because the progressive states want every kid to be taught a particular ideology. This is true in Marxist countries, but it's also true in social democrat countries as well of Europe. So even though I'm a homeschooler and um, and I feel I actually prefer that way of life, I really do. I actually think it's a really blessed way of life. And if you want to know why, ask me sometime, I'll explain. But I still think it's important to defend faith-based schools and chaplains in state schools. Mm. I think it's important to make sure that we don't just retreat from society because what david said what you just said then is absolutely correct and what acl is doing is so important trying to make sure that uh, that uh, our secular culture uh doesn't see itself as being able to just override christianity in the public sphere completely rob can you please wrap up for us this topic uh your, your concluding thoughts and in particular how folks who are watching this can act, especially residents of Queensland and Western Australia, where the government is on the front foot trying to shut down the right of association, freedom of association and employment in Christian schools. What can they do um, as a grassroots activism organisation? Um, how can they support ACL? What can they do themselves um, to, to fight, resist and, and push back? Yeah, and I think that is exactly it, Dave. We have to continue to fight and resist and we have to be prepared to lose the occasional battle because there's a bigger war in play. So I would encourage uh, your viewers to uh, jump on the ACL website, acl.org.au. We have a, um, a campaign running at the moment for the Queensland schools and you can click on that campaign. Basically, uh, what it will do, it will allow you to email your local MP uh, and make copies to the Attorney General in Queensland and also the Minister for Education. We have a similar campaign running in Western Australia where there's a really successful petition being run. Uh, and again, it's, all, it's a matter of as many people as possible uh, expressing their opinion. And, and the other thing you can do is go and knock on the door of your local MP and just keep engaging with them. And I think... Mm -hmm. We've, we've all probably agreed this morning that churches and Christians haven't done enough of that at this point, and we just need to keep putting on the pressure. Yeah. yeah. Now, sometimes what we do will be purely prophetic in as much as we, you know, we'll attempt to speak the truth and to call people to the truth, uh, and they will totally <coughs> ignore that. Um, yep. And then other times we will have wins. So I think either way, it's really important. If we believe that God's real and one day we're going to show up in heaven and he's going to say well what did you do i want to be the guy that says i did whatever you called me to do and i yeah. i would just encourage your viewers to just be faithful to their faith and yep. keep hammering away at it yep brilliant that's awesome well said uh okay a couple of ads um we've got uh, nigel farage speaking in sydney tonight and in brisbane on thursday night i plan on being at the brisbane show we'd love to see you there 
Um, I've got uh, lots of friends from the conservative uh, world, um, Augusto Zimmerman coming over from Perth. Um, it's going to be fantastic. We'd, we'd love to see you there. Of course, uh, this weekend coming up, I believe, is it, Ellie? We've got the CPAC conference, um, Conservative Political Action Conference, uh, a great brand from America, as old as um, having Ronald Reagan speak at the, uh, the first conference in America. Um, a great meeting of like-minded people, right of centre, libertarians, uh, uh, liberals, classical liberals, uh, conservatives, Christians, um, just basically they're exercising free speech and encouraging each other. And I actually think there's no better conference for doing that than the church and state conference. I might be a little bit biased as its convener. ACL do nice little conferences as well. But um, the church and state conference is uh, something to aim for once every year in Brisbane at the beginning of the year. It's going to be the first weekend in March. But we've got a special event coming up in Adelaide in just uh, just under two months. So go to churchandstate.com.au forward slash Adelaide and uh, or you can just go to the front page and, and click on the button to Adelaide or Brisbane and uh, get tickets for that there. It's going to be amazing. We're going to have Senator Alex Antich, uh, James McPherson, uh, myself, and um, some local legends in the political movement there. Uh, it's going to be just an afternoon and an evening, including all catering, um, and you won't need to go anywhere. It's going to be a fantastic day, Saturday the 5th of November. If you're in South Australia or you know anybody in Adelaide, um, please tell them to head to the website churchandstate.com.au and uh, join the waiting list for tickets there. They expect to go on sale um, in just a couple of days. Um, so, Alexandra Marshall, you uh, have been following the Twitterverse like no one else I know, and uh, this weekend um, the internet exploded with uh, uh, the talk that Xi Jinping had suffered a great deal of possibly alternate misadventures, anywhere from house arrest to uh, his uh, tragic passing, which would probably be one of the best things to happen to the modern world. But uh, uh, what's gone on? Why did the internet blow up with all this stuff and what were they actually saying and was there any truth to it? So I woke up with the uh, commentary of Xi Jinping has been killed in a military coup, I think was one of the first ones that I read. And it, it was basically a mixture of either he's under house arrest, a military coup has already taken place, a military coup was about to take place, or he's dead, or he's incarcerated, etc. Some variation on this uh, poor Xi Jinping theme. Now, what's going? Obviously, there's no truth to the rumors in general. They were sparked because there was uh, a lot of air traffic cancelled over Beijing, and then there was also some strange stuff going on uh, on the ground. Now, this stuff happens all the time in China, particularly with their COVID zero policy, their completely mental philosophy they've got going on. Weird stuff happens. Anyway, the interesting point is actually where this stuff was coming from. So it wasn't just random trolls on Twitter putting this, this up. It was coming out of predominantly Taiwan and India. And the people reblogging from India were not randoms. They were former cabinet ministers and current sitting MPs who were perpetuating all of this stuff, which which leads you to the question of well, what's going on? Why was there a propaganda storm against Xi Jinping over the weekend? And it's to do with Xi Jinping facing, he's coming up to his third term, wanting a third term in power. And he actually upset 
Beijing with these COVID zero policies. Now, Beijing is the power hub for all of Xi Jinping's political rivals. The ones mean, he didn't kill. When you say kill. Beijing, you mean the the citizens, the residents of the city? The, the, the city of Beijing is controlled by powerful political rivals of of uh, Xi Jinping, and he upset them immensely with his COVID zero policies. And so they're looking for a way in to depose him, and. It, it's curious to know a lot of them have ties with India. Uh, a lot of them don't want to go to war with Taiwan because they know what's going to happen on a, a global scale if that happens. And so one has to ask the question, was this storm of uh, amazingly hilarious and crazy uh, fake news part of a plot to overthrow Xi Jinping's grab for power? And I think it probably is. And so even though there was no coup happening now, it is an indication that his regime is under threat from within. And that mm -hmm. has enormous consequences for the relationship with Russia and Russia's wars in Europe. It has consequences for India and specifically for the Pacific and Taiwan's survival. Matthew Littlefield, there's uh, no doubt that China is one of the world's largest sources of carbon dioxide uh, generation um, through industry and, and innovation and, and certainly those things which have become uh, socially non-acceptable uh, in, in Australia, such as coal mining and uh, a petrol car. Um, is the climate change um a complete communist plot? Is China massively benefiting from this? And, and if not, who is benefiting from the grift of it all? Well, okay, so I was going to uh, refer to an article where the uh, where a group in, I think it's Torres Strait Island, uh, successfully sued the Australian government through the United Nations. Uh, basically, the United Nations Committee agreed that Australia is responsible for the, uh, the bad weather. <laughs> I, 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 and it actually uses almost those exact words. Let me read you the exact words because you might might think I'm just taking the piss. That's but a Greens policy, by the way. That's a Greens policy for Australia. They want everyone to be able to sue these government and uh, mining companies in Australia for the bad weather. So you're, you're it's common. Yeah, so this is what it says. Just a couple of paragraphs. The United Nations Committee has found the Australian government has failed to adequately protect Torres Strait Islanders and violated their right to enjoy their culture and lives by failing to act on the climate crisis. The landmark decision found they should be compensated. In what the committee has described as a groundbreaking decision, it found the government had violated their rights to enjoy their culture and be free from arbitrary interferences with their private life, family and income. The islanders' complaint claimed the changes in weather patterns Linked to an increase in atmospheric greenhouse gas concentrations had direct harmful consequences on their livelihood, their culture, and their traditional way of life. So there are a lot of movements. There are a lot of people who are benefiting from the climate change grift. And I would argue that China is one of them because a lot of people, to keep their uh, their, their carbon credits neutral here, will do stuff overseas uh, or, or and allow... Like China are allowed to build all these coal fire stations and we're not allowed to build any but we're allowed to buy solar panels which well the queensland government right now is trumpeting the fact that they're going to build australia's largest wind farm or is it the world's largest i don't know they're, they're crowing and boasting about the amount of windmills um wind turbine generators that they're going to be building in queensland of course these are all going to be built in china yeah and then they'll be put together here and then they'll mutilate our birds um, which is what these things often do. And they are very expensive pieces of technology that need a lot of fossil fuels to get them running and to keep them running. 
But I mean, as to what Ellie Merle is talking about with Xi Jinping, it is interesting. Whenever I see something like this, I, I just think of color revolution, um, who's trying to interfere. And as a powerful country, there are other powerful countries that are seeking to interfere in China. So um, it's possible it has something to do with that. It'll be interesting to see how it turns out, because if he does fall down, that will change the global landscape instantly, uh, which will be interesting to see how that happens. But as far as um, China's benefiting from climate change massively, because I can't remember what they're, you might be able to explain this better than me, Ellie Melly, but they have some kind of, uh, they have a developing, um, developing economy clause, which allows them to produce certain amount of carbon. Developing economy. <laughs> yes. not, not only that, they're also allowed to borrow from the World, world Bank as if they were a third world nation, because apparently they are, uh, according to that. So, But meanwhile, China has its own banks, which it's lending money to third world countries, genuine third world countries, at uh, rates and uh, fine print that is unacceptable with every other bank so they can come and take all their assets later on. So, I mean, you tell me what if China's profiting from this disaster. But I have one question about your little um, uh, court case about Australia causing the weather patterns. Do the islands take any responsibility for the lovely new blue economy packs they've signed with China to let them mine offshore fossil fuels and uh, renewables technology in their oceans or do they just kind of draw a line under their own uh, their own deals the, the way this grift works is it only affects those who feel guilty about being successful and the only people who was told to feel guilty about having a successful economy and society are western nations so if you just don't live in guilt and you just praise god for the wealth we have and we seek to be generous i think we should be generous with our wealth to Australians. <laughs> but um, if you don't feel guilty about it, all these grifts don't work. You can just laugh at them. And that literally should be the response <laughs> of this court case to laugh at the United Nations. And that's actually what this, it was actually started under the Morrison government, this court case. And the Morrison government just said, I oh, get rid of it. Like they were, they were just, they were just opposing it the whole way. I don't know if that's what the Albanese government's going to do. I have no idea what they're going to do, but th that's the correct response. And that's what China would do. Well, what would happen if a little island sued China? They'd buy it or invade it or cover it in concrete. That's what they would do. <laughs> buy, just... invade or concrete. That's I, it. I want, to, I want to bring Rob in here, and I'm going to test your metal now. Um, hostile media question without notice. Um, the Australian Christian Lobby, uh, based on what Matt just said about laughing at these, these people, uh, the Australian Christian Lobby is criticised by lefty Christians for not having a policy on minky whales. Um, and I'm tongue-in-cheek when I say that, I, but they're, they're worried that you're not concerned enough mm. um, about the environment sure. um, and and the, those kind of things. So let me ask you, do you think we should be laughing at nations who want us to be charged with guilt for not changing the weather or for changing the weather? I th look, I think there's a lot in that. I think we should be very concerned about uh, transferring our power offshore in any way. I think that there's... You know, there's a there's a big pressure to do that in lots of issues, and climate change is definitely one of those. Um, we should be concerned about anything where a small people of a small number of people are getting rich at the expense of a vast number of people. Which, again, I'm speaking out of my ACL responsibility here, um, and that's what's happening. We're, that's what the climate change argument is doing. There's a mm. it's a shift of power, and um, I think that is a moral issue that that uh, anybody that's in the, the Christian space and if we're claiming to bring the truth into the public sphere, that we should be raising, definitely. Yeah. Um, it's probably not the centre of our crosshairs is my comment on that, I guess. Yeah.
Although it should be, because it's a competing religion. This climate change thing has gone far <laughs> beyond it's yeah. gone far beyond environmentalism as a general concept. We are now in an era where this is a religion. And so it's competing against the Christian religion. And even people who are Christian who adopt climate change mantra, they are watching their own I mean, I'm watching as an outsider, watching people erode their own Christian faith in favor of climate change faith, which is run by the Marxists. And yeah, so I think Christians maybe I mean, not that I have a, a a hand of the game, but maybe they should be more careful about these competing religions. Actually, you are right about that. But what he means by not being our central focus, I think, is that, you know, the core is to uh, is to disciple people and, and share the gospel and bring people into the faith. But part of that is, you are correct, part of that is challenging false salvation, false false, false religion, let's put it that way, like you put it. Yeah. So that is true. In fact, um, me and a couple, some other pastors are planning to do a bit of writing on some of this sort of stuff soon. Cool. Uh, uh, because there Send it to me. Write to me. <laughs> We're thinking more book form than just the article, but I'll write something for. I'll write something to um, put on the spectator too. Good source. <laughs> Good source. But um, there is uh, there is no doubt that all these fake religion, all these false religions, are infiltrating the Christian faith from every direction, and and so yeah. there is a degree to which. And, and you're absolutely right. And you know what? Um, this is something we're going to be talking about at Church and State Adelaide. Um, so get your tickets for this. This is especially um, targeted for people under 30 years old, that there is an epidemic of anxiety at the moment in university age people, high schoolers and, and young adults, um, an epidemic of anxiety directly oh, yeah. caused by climate alarmism. Uh, and, and that is the... The, the concern, and look, of course the climate is changing. Some people say, do you believe in climate change or don't you believe in climate change? Well, you're an idiot if you don't believe in climate change because, of course, the climate is changing, as it always has. They used to have fairs on the frozen Thames River, Thames River in England because it was so cold in those times. Um, there's, there's famous warming periods in, in history where, where there's been a lot hotter than it is today, and we know this as an absolute scientific fact. 6,000 years ago, Aborigines migrated from uh, Victoria to Tasmania by land because the water levels, the ocean levels, were 100 or more metres lower than they are today. Of course, the climate is changing. It always has changed. Uh, but the key that we're going to be talking about in uh, Adelaide at the Church and State Conference in Adelaide is what's the right response to it? Where's the balance? How do we not lose our peace, lose our mind and, and focus on, on what's important? And of course, we should care about the environment, but that is a radically different proposition, uh, the, the Christian position on that uh, of stewardship of creation and, and handing it down to future generations in as good or better condition than we found it um, is something we're going to be talking about church and state Adelaide. So make sure you're inviting young people along to that to benefit from the peace of mind that they should either be getting for themselves or giving to other people uh, about the right response and, and the key word uh, is actually adaptability. Yeah. Uh, we've got a great question here. Um, somebody, I'm just going to show this comment. Um, Chris, if you can get ready with that video. Um, we've got um, somebody asking, I'm sorry, I've lost the comment, but uh, essentially they're saying there's a really great speech from the winner of the Italian election. We're just going to have a look at that now. Uh, it's in Italian, so I'm going to read the subtitles for the sake of the podcast and those people who who don't speak Italian and can't read read the subtitles themselves. Get ready to cheer. 
This is about what we are doing here today. Why is the family an enemy? Why is the family so frightened? There is a single answer to all these questions because it defines us, because it is our identity, because everything that defines us is now an enemy. For those who would like us to no longer have an identity and to simply be perfect consumer slaves, and so they attack national identity, they attack religious identity, they attack gender identity, they attack family identity. I can't define myself as Italian, Christian, woman, mother. No. I must be citizen X, gender X, parent one, parent two. I must be a number because when I am only a number, when I no longer have an identity or roots, then I will be the perfect slave at the mercy of financial speculators. The perfect consumer. Applause. That's the reason why. That's why we inspire so much fear. That's why this event inspires so much fear. Because we do not want to be numbers. We will defend the value of the human being. Each single human being. Because each of us has a unique genetic code that is unrepeatable. And like it or not, that is sacred. We will defend it. We will defend God, country and family. Those things that disgust people so much. We will do it to defend our freedom. Because we will never be slaves and simple consumers at the mercy of financial speculators. That is our mission. That is why I came here today. Chesterton wrote more than a century ago. Let's see if I can find it. Fires will be kindled to testify that two and two make four. Swords will be drawn to prove that leaves are green in summer. End quote. That time has arrived. We are ready. Thank you. Clap, 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 clap. <laughs> Uh, the clapping wasn't in Italian. I don't know why I needed to um, narrate that. <laughs> Italian clapping needs to be translated. Uh, man, that, that was a good speech. I, I don't know if she's got any toxic ideas, but those ideas are fantastic. That is not fascism. That is Christianity. That is truth. That is conservatism. And that is exactly how the Victorians could win the next state election if they came out and made that speech. God, country, family. What a platform. God, country, family. Yeah. That's what's supposed to be the platform of Christians and of people who love their country. And she's deliberately saying there, we're going to fight against the woke ideologies, which say that your gender is not um, real, that you are just, I mean, the idea of being parent one and parent two on a document is so insulting. Now talk I'm not parent one. I'm a father. My wife is that's not right. parent two. She's a mother. Yeah, like, and that's what your kids need. Exactly correct. My kids need not parent one and parent two, which can be any interchangeable amorphous beings, if you want to go down that route, or it can be what they're supposed to have, which is a mother and a father. And the fact that a politician is not just saying this, but winning on this platform is good. And nationalism is rising. People are sick of globalist interference. They're sick of being told by international financiers and international um environmental movements and international this or that that we have to deny all of our identities and just i love how she puts it just become the perfect consumer slaves that's not what we are we're not economic that's beings. exactly what we are they, they agree and that's exactly what state education does yeah is it spitting out worker drones and consumers yeah um and, and not independent thinkers 
Um, Rob, uh, I know the Victorian election is coming up, um, but you're also in charge of New South Wales. Yeah. You've got a New South Wales election coming up mm -hmm. in March, Yep, I believe. Um, we'll have to get you in for a, a live panel on election night if you're, sure. if you're not in New South Wales. Um, and then we'll just cross live briefly. But um, the, the, the conservative case, I, I think New South Wales is the one state at the moment that has a, a conservative leader. But, uh, you, you know, uh, Matthew Guy uh, in the last Victorian election um, devastated Victoria's conservative numbers in Parliament. They went mm -hmm. from getting, you know, a threat to forming government with half the seats to not even a quarter of the seats in Parliament completely irrelevant um, in um, you had Zach Kirk up in Western Australia in the Western Australian election uh, likewise absolutely decimate the parliamentary numbers of the Liberal Party um, mm. we had uh, we had the Queensland um, LNP um, lose an election by basically trying to outgreen the greens they they didn't differentiate themselves from the Labor Party at all in the federal election we had Scott Morrison, lose again why are these premiers and state leaders so afraid of being conservative why are they chasing left of center voters who will never vote for them and do you think that kind of message would guarantee dominic perrottet uh, another term as the premier of new south wales i do yes i do uh, look i agree totally dave i think you've raised an, a, a great point um conservative governments that track to the left uh, we're seeing their numbers go down all the time. They just don't stack up. They're not really providing people with an argument or with a choice. And I think the, the whole ray, uh, rising of, of Trumpism, I guess, in the US, there's mm. evidence of that. Donald Trump stood up, love him, hate him, or be indifferent to him. He made a case for the conservative story and he was swept into power. Um, I do believe that if the conservative voices lifted up in Australia that we would see a shift in um, in the voting in the voting habits, basically. Yeah, we'd see primary numbers go up on the conservatives. Um, unfortunately, what we now have in Australia is a splintering effect where conservative voters have shifted to micro parties and that vote has been uh, watered down. Now, for better or for worse, we're not going to know what that looks like in the longer term. But we now have uh, about 12% of the vote, the conservative vote, going to micro parties and this, and they struggle to pick up a seat. So I think preferential understanding preferential voting solves um, that problem. And um, yeah, I'm not sure that that's the problem in my personal opinion, but I, I think it reflects the problem that we're talking about, in, and that is that the major right wing party has abandoned its grassroots. Mm. They they don't deserve the primary vote. No, and I think that's how people are viewing it. Unfortunately, that's that's right. Yeah. yeah. Alexandra Marshall, uh, Victorian election coming up. Um, what's your thoughts on the chances of uh, that guy um, picking a taking a, a leaf out of the book of uh, the winner of the Italian election? Uh, doormat, as I call him, uh, <laughs> because Andrew walks over him on, on his way to Parliament. Uh, basically, Matthew Guy is a failed political leader 
who was briefly replaced and has come back in to fail again. I mean, his only notoriety comes from people wearing lobster suits around him, and that is not a recipe for winning, let alone leadership. So the Liberals are crazy. If they can't find anyone better than Matthew Guy in Victoria, then you might as well go home and not bother contesting the, in the election. It's it's not There's no point. Matthew Guy is not a Conservative. His policies are not Conservative. His entire party said nothing while the people of Victoria's rights were abused for two years. They don't offer any leadership, and so no one wants to follow them, which is why they keep losing. But if we go and look at um, the wider discussion of conservatism, let's look at New South Wales where we were talking before. The failure of conservatism and the Liberal National Party in New South Wales is how the Teals came to power in all the blue ribbon seats in New South, New South Wales. Once people like what was his name, uh, all those really uh, woke lefty liberals who were all on board the climate change. You went to their websites and their websites were basically a banner for the Greens Party but with blue background colouring. They are the reason that we've allowed this corruption of the conservative movement and if uh, our little uh, Perrottet loses, it won't just be because he's getting smaller and smaller and smaller as if, Matt, as if Matt Keane was literally draining him of energy. It's because the Liberals in general have failed to prosecute the case against this climate change woke movement and right. so they have no ground upon which to argue. Yep, 100% right. Matt, you've got something to add. What were your thoughts on, I guess, the point Rob and I maybe disagreed a little bit on, the the inclination of people to vote for a minor slash micro party uh, right of centre being um, part of the problem as uh, that's unsolvable with preferentials? Uh, okay, so I, I think people vote for the party which captures, which presents them a vision which they can believe in. And that's why people are voting for these minor parties, especially in the last couple of elections, you saw the, the primary vote of both parties go down massively. I think one of them had the lowest primary vote in quite some time. can't remember which side that was. Labor. But, uh, it was Labor, there you go. So uh, people will vote for a vision they can believe in and they can get behind. And I'm not actually a conservative. I've said this before. Uh, I'm a nationalist. I'm a Christian nationalist specifically. Uh, but I think for conservatives to win, you don't have to, maybe it's not going to be necessary to ditch the label conservative, but at least attach it to a vision. Attach it to a vision of society. What you want to move society towards. towards. I mean, you've got to give the left credit for this. At least they're moving society towards a vision. It's a terrifying vision. Absolutely. But it is a vision and people will get behind even a bad vision. And okay. maybe that's what this this uh, you know toxic chaplain north of Brisbane was teaching his students is, is the only people he heard articulating a clear vision uh, was the Greens. He's not wrong. And I've made a similar point from a different perspective, obviously. It's a pity he didn't read the whole thing and, and uh, foresee the absolute destruction of the students in his care. Um, but, I mean, that's a vision of the Greens. Um, but, um, yeah, the, the right-wing leaders have been letting the media dictate the agenda and they have failed to differentiate and articulate a very clear vision that's what the italian new yep. prime minister has done and and that's what the you know president trump has done that's yep. what uh, ron DeSantis has done yeah. um margaret thatcher ronald reagan all of the the famous conservatives who were hated by the left uh, 
were hated by the left and yet were successful nonetheless because of their ability to articulate a vision that people in the centre were willing to follow to the right. Well, Tony, Tony Abbott did the same in Australia, essentially. Yes. He came into power with terrible numbers, had a vision um, that was right of centre and and uh, put it up strongly and he was elected. That's and right. he probably would have been re-elected had he stayed in. And his um, alternative, Malcolm Turnbull, did nothing but hemorrhage seats at mm. each election. Yeah. And this is important. You're all right about the Westminster system, about the minor parties. Yes, it's not great that minor parties have got so much of the vote, but this, this is how the system is meant to work. It is a warning sign to the major parties that if they are bleeding voters into minor parties, their politics has drifted off the main sort of hump of, of ideas. And if they don't pull themselves back, then the minor parties will eventually co coalesce into a new major party. And so this is how the system is meant to work. Is it, a, um, is, it a, uh, is it an intelligence problem? Um, in the Liberal Party, and I, I mean that as insultingly as it sounds, is it an intelligence probably in, in the leaders of the Liberal Party, state and federal, that um, on the left of centre you have the Greens Party dragging Labor left and on the right of centre the minor parties are somebody that the, Conser the, the Liberal Party wants to distance themselves from instead of saying, hey, we... We hear you, like the Labor Party does of Greens voters. The Liberal Party says we hate you to those, uh, you know, centre-right people such as Conservatives and Christians. It's a complete lack of self-awareness and historical illiteracy about how the political systems are supposed to work. If they see these minor parties gaining ground on the on the right of centre of politics, and don't forget they're still centre-right parties, then the Liberals should be like, oh, heck, we need to go and see what policies are being successful in these parties and move ourselves back toward our base because we've obviously cut our ropes and been cast adrift. Instead, they see the minor parties as competition instead of allies, and so they get no votes from either side. This is their problem. And, yes, they're idiots, to paraphrase it. This is what we'll um, we'll wrap up now. So Matt, um, we'll let you go first, but we're just going to go around the panel and ask everybody for their final thoughts for the day, um, and uh, we'll come back to you, Ellie, after Matt and Rob. Uh, if you want to win society over, you've got to not just think uh, about the next election. You've got to think long term. Uh, the Italian party that just won, they've lost many elections before. Their block, but they've kept their vision mm. of God, country, and family, and moved to a point finally where society was ready to vote in that direction. And so we've got to not be afraid of losing the next election, even for our society getting a little bit worse for a while. We still got to stick to what's right and what's best, and work towards that vision of a more godly Australia. Um, and don't care what anyone else says about it; just stick to it. Then eventually, it will impact. That's what our ancestors did. So that would be my encouragement. Mm. Uh, Boldly assert that Christian faith and don't be afraid and don't be ashamed. Yeah, great. Rob, final thoughts for Love the uh, conversation and the day? Yep. No, I, I agree with what, what Matt says. Uh, if you are out there and you are a Christian, I want to encourage you to join a political party. And I, whether it, which side of politics really doesn't matter. We need no, Christians great. in all areas of politics, whatever the party throw yourself at it. And like you said, Matt, it's a long-term thing. Don't just, don't just go one term. Sign yourself up, uh, go to the annual meetings, be a part of pre-selections and be a part of the process. Yeah, I would say don't come with anything less than a 10-year enthusiasm. Yep. 
um, just be there for the long haul. Uh, Alexandra, our final thoughts for the day. And don't forget to spruik Spectator, CPAC, and everything you like. Okay, well, Matthew Guy is a waste of space. The dictator in the South will be re-elected because he's got strength, even if it's wicked. I advise you all to subscribe to The Spectator Australia where you can read us writing about how terrible uh, Daniel Andrews is uh, and join the fight against woke. And uh, I hope my fellow panellists will consider writing us a few articles. Uh, we've got CPAC on this weekend. It is, of course, the Great Conservative Conference slash party because we actually do have some parties in there as well for everyone to join, it, uh, join in and have a great time. Nigel Farage will be speaking as well as some uh, representatives from the States. I think we've got uh, Matt Slap and, and quite a few others. So come on down this weekend. There are still tickets available and I hope everyone has a great time. Fantastic. Thank you, Ellie, and thank you, um, Matt and, and Rob. I uh, really appreciated your time today. Uh, my final thoughts, um, I want to echo what Rob said, join a party. In fact, uh, join the Liberal Party would be my particular exhortation. Um, I, <laughs> I think the job is insurmountably many times uh, more difficult in any of the left of centre parties. Um, but here's the thing, join the Liberal Party or the LNP in Queensland as a missionary. Go there to infiltrate and change the culture to support what it started as under Menzies, a, a broad tent for conservatives and Christians and, and classical liberals and, and libertarians and people right of centre. There's many people left of centre in the Liberal Party who don't belong there. And your membership can help renew that party. It can help actually say to people like Malcolm Turnbull and, uh, and Trent Zimmerman and uh, Simon Birmingham, sorry, you're in the wrong party, get out, you're fired, you don't represent me and this is my party. And of course, if they don't have a candidate in your electorate with your help just yet, who is somebody that you can vote for, who is the best candidate in your electorate, then don't give them any votes and don't give them any money continue to participate in the party culture so you can reform it. But I promise you it's going to take more than an election cycle. It might take a generation. So don't come with anything less than the patience for a 10-year fight. The communists have far more patience than us. They've been doing the cultural Marxist revolution since the 50s in America, the hippie revolution, uh, the sexual revolution of the 60s, the attack on family started then with family welfare, uh, contraception, childcare, and abortion. Uh, in the the overthrow of of the diagnostic manuals for the psychiatry um, profession were overthrown politically way back in those late decades of the last century, and they've had a fifty year plan. And now they're culturally dominant. If we can't even survive ten years in the Liberal Party trying to influence it positively, we might as well give up now and move to a communist nation because Australia is lost if we're not prepared to turn up consistently and represent uh, in a system where we're invited to participate democratically within the rules. Don't let other people pay for you. Don't let other people control your vote. Um, and make sure you always vote for the best person in your field. I tell you what, a church and state a conference in Adelaide is going to be fantastic because South Australia is one of those states where the conservative renewal of the Liberal Party is going more successfully than anywhere else. Alex Antic is going to be one of our keynote speakers at the Church and State Conference in Adelaide, and he is certainly leading a charge that was perhaps started by Corey Bernardi, and there is a great conservative renewal. And the Liberal Party 
in South Australia, despite headlines to the contrary, is now much more friendly to Christians and conservatives than any of their state branches in any other states. Uh, so be encouraged. The fight is winnable, um, even if it does take time. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, it's been great to have the panellists and this great conversation. Uh, and thank you very much to the supporters who put their hand in their pocket every month and, and just contribute a little bit or a lot uh, towards bringing this production continuously to you and uh, the other articles on Good Source as well as the church and state ministry around Australia. Look forward to seeing you next week on Pello Talk. I'm Dave Pello. Goodbye. Today, we need a special kind of courage, not the kind needed in battle, but a kind which makes us stand up for everything that we know is right, everything that is true and honest. We need the kind of courage that can withstand the subtle corruption of the cynics so that we can show the world that we are not afraid of the future.